Luke 24, verse 13 to 35, if you've got your Bibles in front of you. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they did not find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And he opened the scriptures to us. They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together. And saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Oh, Lord, we just thank you for your precious word. And Lord, would you just open up wonderful and precious things to us as we listen to it and talk about it. In Jesus' name, amen. Just want to take a seat, thanks. This is me a few years ago um, with my boy Johnny. Um, Don't worry, Johnny, this is not embarrassing. This is actually a story making you look awesome. I was a pastor's kid, so I know you've got to be careful how you share your kids' stories. <laughs> My parents are still doing that as, as ministers. But So this is, this, um, as, as you can see, um, and I've talked about this many times, I am you know, a very fine physical specimen, um, but I am, I've got this you know, family trait that I'm just not that good at sports. Like, I love sports. Like I'm an armchair enthusiast. I enjoy watching it and you know, passionate about it, love it but I'm just not very good at it, and I've like got no speed in my family. And so 
I have sort of very low expectations of myself in sports. One time um, someone described to me that I wasn't part of a touch team and they said it was like you're on a treadmill running as fast as you can but you're not moving at all. <laughs> so this is my expectations, right, when I come into sport and activities. Love it but suck at it. <laughs> and so I, this is, uh, this is uh, Johnny here when he's about five and this is at Cornerstone, and they had the cross-country. And so I went along to watch him in the cross-country with Amy. Now, my expectations, because of my family background, were not high um, that Johnny was going to be dominating this race. Not that it's about winning or becoming first. But anyway, I was watching along, and we were near the end of the, of the cross-country as they're coming in. And I was with Amy, and then and, and Amy said something to me like, Oh, there's Johnny! And I was like, I was like, <laughs> and I saw Johnny at the front of this group, like pounding, like straight in, like you know, and, and he just came in and won the race. And I was like, yeah, I'd like to say I'm one of those, um, you know, deep parents that don't put a lot of things into their children. But in that moment, I was like, yes, I might suck at sports, but my kids are awesome. I was living through my son as he ran through. That, that was my moment. It wasn't yours, Johnny. It was my moment. Because <laughs> I was that kid in cross country who was walking with the asthmatics and the hay fever kids at the back, you know. So this was, this was, this was my moment, Johnny. Johnny bounded in and won that race, and I was, I was super proud. Um, as I am of all my kids, no matter how they do in sports and all that sort of things. <laughs> The point I'm kind of trying to make from the story is, is that we can have preconceived expectations about things. I had an expectation for my, I guess, my family background and my own um, mediocrity in sports that I'd pass those genes on. But thanks be to God, I married Amy. <laughs> <laughs> as well as being beautiful, she's got, they're, they're very athletic, the Davises, and so it brought it into the family line and things are going well now. We've changed something for a generation. <laughs> Preconceived expectations about things. How often can we have that about many things in life? And this beautiful little story that's the end of Luke's Gospel in Luke 24 is a bit about that. You've got two travellers on the road to a place called Emmaus and they've got some preconceived expectations about Jesus and what has happened. And Jesus encounters them on their travels, on their journey, and he reorientates their minds and their hearts by revealing himself in remarkable ways through scripture and through the breaking of the bread. So let's dive in. The story is set at the end of Luke's gospel. Where this is after Jesus has just gone to the cross and he has um, risen from the dead. Uh, they actually haven't seen that happen so they don't know that as a, as a fact and they're not looking for that because that, that's not part of their expectations or their worldview. They are two disciples as we've talked about before apprentices of Jesus. Now they're not part of the, the kind of core 12 disciples now down to 11 because um, of Judas but they are part of a wider group of disciples and followers of Jesus that have gone along with him and learned some of his teaching and ministry and seen him in action. So these guys were familiar with Jesus. They knew Jesus as teaching and ways. They, they had familiarity with him. They weren't just complete strangers. 
And it's really interesting in Luke's Gospel, everything kind of has an arc where it's going towards the cross. So, so Jesus is turning towards Jerusalem. He's turning towards Jerusalem. He's going towards the cross. The whole, the, the, when you read the Gospel, it's all kind of going towards Jerusalem in this, in this final climatic moment on the cross, and then obviously the resurrection. But this is an interesting story because these two travelers... These two disciples are walking away from Jerusalem. The whole of the story, Luke's going, we go into Jerusalem. This is where we're headed. This is where we're going. This is where Jesus is going. And then we have these two disciples walking away from Jerusalem towards a place called Emmaus. And I don't think that's any sort of accident in the story there. I think the point we're sort of meant to get out of it is that, is, is that these guys are kind of going the wrong way that they're kind of lost. And this story is a beautiful picture of the spiritual life because it, it's, it's a beautiful in the sense of, of that we're all on this kind of journey in life. I think that's why these two disciples, one of them's named Cleopas and the other one's not named. That's why I think they're not the core 12 that we're reading about here because I think we're meant to kind of relate to these guys as these are just ordinary disciples of Jesus. They've got disappointed, they've got... They've got unmet expectations, and they're going the wrong way, right? And they're walking to this place called Emmaus. Uh, basically, I looked on Google Maps. It would be like us walking to just past Whakarongo. It's about 8 miles or 11 miles, uh, 11 k's in, in, in metric. So it's a decent hike. You know, it's a good distance, and they're, and they're talking. They're processing. And the thing is, is that Jesus can encounter and re reveal himself even when we're going the wrong way, right? Like even when we're going the wrong way in life as his followers, he can encounter and meet us. When we're in doubt, we're in seasons of, of disappointment, Jesus encounters us where we are at in the present moment. And these two disciples had big disappointment. As they're walking along the road, they're processing everything that has happened with their master, Jesus being betrayed and dying on the cross, as well as the unbelievable reports that he had risen from the, jet, from the dead. Um, maybe they were external processes. I don't know if you're familiar with this term. I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of these kind of people. I know I'm, a, I'm, I'm an introvert and I'm quite reasonably quiet, but I tend to process everything out loud. Poor Amy, she's done thousands of hours of counselling with me and received no money whatsoever. She's an internal processor, so she kind of works it all out and then she doesn't really need me. But <laughs> I need to sort of talk things out sometimes. And I, I feel like these two guys, uh, it could be a husband and wife, it could be two uh, guys, they don't know for sure, that they're processing externally, I think, like what has happened. They're processing their disappointments, their frustrations, their sadness. Like They're going, they're going through it all. And in the midst of that processing, in the ESV, it talks about Jesus draws near to them. I love that. Jesus draws near to them. Isn't that beautiful? It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's a beautiful picture of the heart of God that he draws near to us, especially in our disappointments. So whatever is going on in your life this morning, whatever your circumstances are, whatever challenges that you may have, Jesus is drawing near to you this morning. Amen? And not only does Jesus draw near, he walks alongside them. I love this quote from Kazuki Koyama. Sorry. Love has a speed. It's a spiritual speed. 
It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It goes on the, in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, at three miles an hour or 4.8 Ks. doesn't have the same ring, does it? <laughs> like the, met- the French have done well with the metric system, but it doesn't sound right, does it? Yeah. Three miles an hour sounds so much better. It is the speed we walk, and therefore the speed of love of God walks. Isn't that beautiful? Like the average human walks three miles an hour, and that's the speed that Jesus walks alongside us. He doesn't run ahead. He doesn't go behind. He walks alongside us at our pace, where we are at, what we're going through. And then we read um, that they can't recognize Jesus. I, I, don't, know, I don't know why um, they can't see him. There's a lot of speculation when you read the commentaries. Um, maybe God has made it in such a way that they can't, you know, supernaturally see Jesus because he looks completely different. Maybe they're just so caught up in all their grief and disappointment that they just can't see Jesus in that moment because they're just thinking about themselves and their own internal uh, struggles and things that are going on. But for whatever reason, they just cannot see Jesus. And I, I think that is really reassuring to us as fellow disciples of Jesus um, is because I think part of the point of the story is that it, it's really timeless in a sense of that's what we walk through, Right? We don't get to see a physical Jesus in this lifetime. Maybe, maybe some, some people have in a vision or some beautiful thing like that. But in general, most of us don't. So we have to, we do this thing on faith in an invisible God. And, you know, we go off our, our you know, sense of presence, our experiences. We've got scripture. We've got all these things that we can, tradition that we can um, follow on and, and rely on. But there's an aspect of faith, right, with that. Like, that's not easy. And, uh... And especially when things aren't going well in our lives. I often have looked back on my life um, and some of those really difficult seasons in my life. And I've had that sort of thing like, where are you, God? You seem so distant. Now, we know theologically that's not right, that God is everywhere at all places and all times. But sometimes it feels like he's not close or he doesn't care or he's off doing more important things. And I've always taken a lot of solace in this beautiful quote by Philip Yancey, this author. He said, you know, faith is believing in advance those things that only make sense in reverse. Faith is believing in advance those things that will only make sense in reverse. And I'm sure I'm not the only person in this room who has had expectations in life dashed that has had things that haven't gone quite right with your life. You had sort of expectations of how it should have been, um, how things should have gone with your kids, or all these sort of things with a job or relationship or friendship. Or even your walk with the Lord, there might be unmet expectations there. Or even unmet expectations around healing. Whatever it is, we all have these things, and that is the, the real hard part about faith. But the, the encouragement I want to give you this morning is that Jesus is near. He draws near. He walks with us. And and I've experienced that in my life, and I'm sure many of you have had. When you look back on certain seasons that you've walked through, you're like, there's Jesus. right? There's Jesus. Yes, it didn't happen how I thought it was going to happen. But man, look at his kindness. Look at his grace. Look at his provision. Look how he sent those people. You're good, Lord. You're faithful. That's so encouraging. Like To do life without Jesus, I, I don't know how people do it. We need him, eh? We desperately need him.
And that's the importance of faith in our lives. Now, not only does Jesus walk alongside us and hear what is on our hearts and minds, but he also reorientates our view of reality so that we can actually see him. So, you know, Luke tells us that, that Jesus then, you know, intervenes with these guys. <laughs> I, I always find this funny how Jesus does this. Like, he asks people stuff he already knows. You know, what are you talking about? What are you discussing? And they're like, oh, haven't you heard, you know, what's happened in this last weekend? Don't you know? Come on, everyone knows about this in Jerusalem. And then, you know, and they say, you know, and he sort of like carries on this kind of, I don't know how Jesus kept a straight face when he was doing this, right? <laughs> he must be like, what things, you know, tell me more. He's sort of like the naive inquirer, you know. But what I think he's doing is a bit like how you, when you go to counseling or, or supervision or therapy or something like that, if anyone's done that before, the, the counsellor probably knows what's going on with you, but they have to, they want you to say it. They want you to tell the story. They want you to tell what is on the, your heart and on your mind and to get it out. And I feel like that's what Jesus is often doing in those situations. He's like drawing out of us what is going on within. Because there's something powerful in, in verbalising and, and letting God know what's going on within. And I, I feel like that's what he's doing here. And so he... Jesus actually then um, explains to them the scriptures. It talks about that he, he says, he explains to them Moses and all the prophets. So basically, what is our version of the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. And he explains to them how everything points to him. He's obviously not saying, I'm Jesus in this moment to these two disciples, but he's talking about the Messiah. He's saying everything in all the scripture orientates around and points to him. And then he explains to them, flips their expectations up. He says, look, can't you see that this was the way that I had to do it? Like, I had to do it through suffering, by laying down my life. Now, their expectations was that Jesus was going to be this military conqueror who's going to come and brave heart character, smash the Romans, free them like a King David. And he didn't do that. He laid down his life and it looked like an utter and complete failure to them because of the way they, they were looking at their scriptures, the way they were looking at the story. And Jesus comes and reorientates it and says, no, can't you see? Can't you see how it's really meant to be? Do you ever remember these when you were a kid, Corona? Magic eye books. I, I even like the subtitle, A New Way of Looking at the World. I used to have these at people's houses and stuff, and, and you'd pick them up, or you get them from the library and stuff. And if you've ever done these before, what, what you do is you, you, you're meant to look at this image, it's a bit like the one on the screen, all of the other things. And if you look at it the right way for the longest time, you'll see something like a dinosaur or something. But I used to do these things, and I'd be like, I can't see the dinosaur. <laughs> I used to get really angry, like, I can't see this thing. And then sometimes, You'd hold it just right between the, at the right angle in front of your nose and your eyes and stuff, and you'd see it, and you'd be like, I can see the dinosaur! And you're telling everyone, I can see the dinosaur, I can see it. And I think that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. They can't see this thing, and he's reorientating their vision and their hearts to see reality as it really is. Um, you know, this is something 
that Jesus brings. We talk about Jesus, you know, spirit and truth. Well, one of the aspects of truth is, is, is reality. Jesus is the ultimate reality. And so when he speaks into your situation, he shows you and reorientates your life in a way that you see what the ultimate reality is, which is him. And I, I, I've, I've thought about this often. Um, N.T. Wright has this interesting analogy where he says it's like they are looking through the wrong end of a, a telescope. Now, if you were to look through the right end of a telescope, you, you look through and everything, you get the big picture, right? But if you're looking the other way in, you're going to get the small picture. You're going to see this small focus thing. That's what they were doing, like looking at their scriptures and God's like, no, look the right way at the big picture which I'm part of, and you're going to see it. And I wonder if we as, as Christians and as followers can do the same thing. You know, I love learning. I love listening to things. Um, but, you know, sometimes we can just consume podcasts and sermons. Um, we can even just pick up our Bible every day and just sort of methodically read through it. We can do all these things and miss Jesus. Have you noticed that? That you can get consumed in all this other stuff and not see what is really important. Now, none of those things are, are, are bad things. They're wonderful things. I want to encourage you to do all of them. Listen to wisdom. Get as many helpful things as you can into your, into your daily walk with the Lord. But there's something about finding Jesus, seeing him, that's so important to our souls. Because the point of the Bible is not to just consume more knowledge. The point of the Bible is to encounter Jesus. And here's the key this morning. It must go from our head to our hearts. There's a famous Native American saying, saying, saying the longest journey in your life is from your head to your heart, 18 inches, like that is the longest journey you will take, and there's a, there's a sense here in the story, Jesus is explaining reality and the scriptures to them, but it's still a bit of a head thing, and again, like I said before, knowledge is a good thing, we should be learning, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and all our mind, our minds are awesome things, but it has to go from head to here, right? It's interesting when you compare, um, there's a verse there that says in ESV, it says slow of, Jesus, when Jesus sort of chastised them, he says, you know, you, you know, foolish guys, you're slow of heart to believe. Their issue is not their, all the data. Their issue is that it hasn't sunk into their hearts. And then when you compare it with verse 32, after Jesus re revealed himself in the breaking of the bread, they say to themselves, did not our hearts burn within us? Like something's happened between getting a bit of data to it sinking into their hearts. Like, oh, yeah, I get this. I really get this. And uh, I, I guess I just want to ask you guys in a sense, like, have you had an experience like that with Jesus? I don't want to assume what all our experiences have been of Jesus. But have you had an experience of God where it's gone from just a, like a cerebral 
mental ascent idea of what, yes, I believe there's a God, yes, I believe he created the world, but has it sunk down into your heart? Have you had an experience like that? There's a famous Christian called John Wesley, and he talked about an experience of the Holy Spirit where he was, he was listening to someone talk about the book of Romans, and in that very quaint English way, he says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. <laughs> Probably spilled his cup of tea or something, you know. <laughs> Whoa, it's too much. <laughs> Steady on. Um, but what he was describing is an experience of, of the love of God. As he's listening to the Word of God, it's how we encounter God. It's one of the ways we encounter is through the Word of God. I felt my heart strangely warmed. And many people I know have felt that before in a, in a church gathering or with God during devotional times. Sometimes people describe that as liquid love. Have you ever had that? You felt like the, the love of God just wash over you. It's the most amazing feeling in this lifetime and for the next, to feel the love of God in those times. And sometimes people... Um, have different reactions with their bodies. Sometimes people cry. I'm a bit of a crier. <laughs> um, some people laugh with joy. Some people shake. Some people just feel an incredible sense of peace and love. Like, oh, yes, everything's right with the world. I've got you, Jesus. Because, Michael, <laughs> the best thing about following Jesus is Jesus. <laughs> We don't do all these things just to tick a box. We do all these things for Jesus. He's the prize. He's the pearl of great pride. Um, you know, he's the thing we're going after. I, um, I had that experience in my own life. Uh, I had a particularly dry period in my life where I, was, I almost had that kind of thing like, what's church all about? I wasn't a church minister at that point, so that would have been a bit complicated. <laughs> what's it all about from the front of the church? Everyone's like, oh, should this guy be here? Um, I was just, you know, a part of a church. I was just working, going through life, all those sort of things. And I just had those questions, like, what's this all about? Like, you know, like I believed in God, but I was just like, I feel like I'm just going through the motions. What's this thing about? Um, and I even kind of felt like, I even said to Amy, like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to church anymore kind of thing. This is in my sort of early 20s. And something that was a revelation for me was that I encountered God afresh again. A friend of mine said, why don't you listen to this guy, Tim Keller? And I listened to the sermons, and just a beautiful man, beautiful man, and beautiful sermons, and the way he just preached the gospel, it just brought it afresh to me again. After years of hearing endless sermons and information, I've been brought up in the church, but I had a, like a, a moment where my heart was strangely warmed. More than that, I was, I was weeping like a baby, but, you know, <laughs> I, had like, I was like in bed, like crying away, and Amy's like looking over, like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I was having a moment of encounter. It had gone from my head to my heart. So these, these two disciples invite, to, they still don't know who Jesus is, <laughs> but they're really enjoying they, they, they think, man, what is about this guy? He's so engaging. And they say, look, come on, stay the night over with us here at this inn. Let's have a meal together. 
and, and, and Jesus does this uh, funny thing where he says, no, no I'm going to go on a bit further and, and that, you know, like pretending like he's not going to stay kind of thing. And they're like, no, 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 we really want you to stay sort of thing. And, in the Greek, it talks about like that they basically constrained him kind of like the, the, the language is that, like that. Like that kind of, I kind of thought about it almost a bit like sometimes when I, my kids were little and you're trying to go out the door for work and they're like, wrapped around your legs and you're kind of like <laughs> I gotta go <laughs> it's like that kind of passion they've got like this guy oh man he's opening up the scriptures to us we've got to have a meal with him and so they they get together and they have a meal and Jesus again flips the script because in their culture they were meant to show hospitality to the guest but Jesus becomes the host he grabs the bread he breaks it, and he gives it to them. And in that moment, as he gives it to them, they see him. They recognize him. It says there in verse 31, Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And the language there should be familiar to us because it's the same almost exact wording that Jesus says in communion earlier on in Luke with the Last Supper. He breaks bread, he blesses it, and he gives it to his disciples. The feeding of the 5,000, he blesses this Lord, breaks it, gives it to them. There's something about communion, about breaking bread together as Christians that we experience and encounter God in a fresh and new way. And I think the thing is, is that it's this reminder that communion is not just about the forgiveness of our sins. You know, what is communion? We, we, we remember Jesus' death and resurrection. We remember that he conquered death and that our sins are forgiven. But the much better story in that is, is that we get to have relationship with him. Communion, union with God now and forever. So isn't it no wonder in the breaking of the bread together that we encounter him and his presence in a, in a real and special way? And that's one of the reasons why we, we do communion every week here at Kurimako, because we want to orientate our hearts around what really matters. It's our relationship with God together as a church whanau. That he is worth it, that we love him. And then it's really interesting, I'll finish with this, what happens after that. They rush back to Jerusalem. It says at that very hour they got up and they just rushed back to Jerusalem. And they met with the, the 11 who were boarded up somewhere in the upper room or something. And they told them, you know, we have seen Jesus. He has risen indeed, what we sort of proclaim and declare at Easter he is risen indeed. We have seen the Lord. He is risen indeed. And then they explain to these disciples, you know, how they, they, they encountered and knew him in the breaking of the bread. It's a beautiful picture there because if you look at the start of the story, they're leaving Jerusalem, going the wrong way, disappointed, discouraged. And here we are at the end of the story after Jesus has reorientated their hearts and their reality. They're running back to Jerusalem to be with the disciples who at that point, that is the church. 
See that? Those disciples going back to the church to be with their fellow brothers and sisters and to declare that Jesus is Lord and to go on a mission. You know, we've got Pentecost coming up soon as you keep reading through to Acts, the mission of God that he's sending them on. Isn't that wonderful? And that is what an encounter with Jesus can do. Would you please stand, if you don't mind?